Welcome to Your Career Podcast, the podcast that helps to ensure your career success. To start getting on track with your career, download my free career goals calendar from thecareersacademy.online. My goals calendar includes a smart goals template and a weekly tasks sheet that will ensure step-by-step you get closer to reaching your career goals. So download my goals calendar today at thecareersacademy.online. Now on with the show. So most people who are solos are working in and on their business. And so, you know, their accountant does, you know, supports them with the numbers. They're close to their numbers too. And it needs to be like that with your marketing, that you're in partnership with a marketing advisor, coach, mentor, someone who's doing it for you, but it's a partnership. So you're sharing the responsibility with them of executing the strategy but maybe it's the consultant's job or the agency's job to actually implement it. Welcome to Jane Jackson Careers, a podcast that takes your career to the next level. Here's your host, Jane Jackson, author of Amazon Careers bestseller, Navigating Career Crossroads. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. There are over 180,000 book titles to choose, so give it a go and get your free audiobook today from audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. Welcome back to My Careers Podcast, where I interview fascinating professionals who have made amazing career changes or are leaders in their field. Now, today, it's such an honor to have with me Beth Powell, who is a speaker, coach, and consultant specializing in how SME businesses can grow through digital marketing and social media. She is the founder of Digital Marketing Club, an SME marketing strategy development and coaching business, and she's also the author of Drive More Business, a five-step guide to digital marketing for auto dealers. She also runs a small online import business, and she is an entrepreneur who created the very first social media and digital marketing professional development programs in Australia way back when, 10 years ago, which she's delivered to hundreds of marketers, non-marketers and business owners across the country and also for the Australian Marketing Institute. Now, prior to launching her own business, Beth held executive marketing and comms roles in the government, the not-for-profit and the private sector. She holds a master's degree in digital communication and culture from the University of Sydney and a Cert for in workplace training. Now let's find out about Beth's career path from corporate, not-for-profit and government into entrepreneurship because that's quite a big jump and she's got a really interesting story to share. So welcome to the show, Beth. Thank you, Jane. It sounds quite chaotic, really, doesn't it? No, well, not so much chaotic, just really interesting, <laughs> because I love changes, as you know. I think we should all embrace change. And the fact that you've been in these three really very different sectors, and then moving into entrepreneurship, I think is really going to be very inspiring, you know, your entire story for all of our listeners. So how about to kick us off? Tell us about 
your aspirations when you were a little girl or you're a teenager, basically what you wanted to be at that time as a career? So, Jane, I wanted to be a dentist. I grew up in Canberra and really what I wanted to be was to be a dentist. And I didn't used to tell many people that because people thought that that was a funny thing for a teenager to want to be, but that was it. Unfortunately for me, I didn't connect being a dentist with having to get a certain score at high school. So I didn't get the score. And so I, you know, I didn't end up, well, I applied for dentistry, but I didn't get in. So instead of that, I wanted to leave Canberra and a way to do that and get a job and have training was to go and be a nurse. So I joined up for nursing training at Prince of Wales and Prince Henry Hospital. Oh, well, what a big change. I didn't know about the nursing side of things. Mm. How interesting, because I thought you were a marketer, communications specialist all the way through. So from thoughts of being a dentist to then training to become a nurse, did you actually start working as a nurse to start off with? I did. So I did my three-year training. At that time, the training was in the hospital and we were paid. I think my first year I was paid $13,000 a year as a first-year nurse, but it was enough for me to move from Canberra to Sydney and support myself. So I did that. And when I finished nursing, I worked as a nurse as a casual nurse, if you like, we called them pool nurses, to put myself through a journalism degree. And so it was a communications degree and I majored in journalism at that time because I started to do a lot of writing and I was really enjoying writing. So the nursing was great because it really gave me a foundation of work and understanding work and what that meant and turning up and all of those kind of things. And for an 18-year-old, that was quite a big thing. And then it funded me to continue to support myself in Sydney and do a degree. Wow. So what prompted this desire to become a journalist? I know you said you always enjoyed writing. So how did that evolve? Well, I met some people who worked in community radio and they invited me to come to, you know, just hang around the radio station, participate. And I absolutely loved it. And pretty quickly, I had my own show. So I used to do an afternoon current affairs show. Then I started doing a music show. Then I started, they had like, a, I'd say, radio show that was modelled on ABC's PM, if you like. And so I started making radio journalism stories for that program. And I remember I did a series on um, Aboriginal deaths in custody. And this would have been in 1986, something like that. So quite a long time ago. But I loved the panel operation in the studio. I loved putting a show together didn't mind the sound of my own voice. So it kind of launched me, I guess, to think I want to do a communications degree. And I knew a lot of people then who were doing communications degree because I'd met them through the studio. Wow, that's interesting. Now, also, not only were you a nurse, which I didn't know about, Beth, but you're a radio broadcaster too. So now this makes sense because from the journalism and the communications degree to going into marketing and communications makes a lot of sense. And so once you got your communications degree, was that when you transitioned into a role within the government or was it not-for-profit sector first? It was not-for-profit first. So I was working as a freelancer and I had a column, a regular column with Dolly Magazine and I was writing tips to save the environment for Dolly Magazine and I was 
editing a environmental publication and it was through that that I came to the attention of Greenpeace Australia and they asked me would I like to come and work with them as probably I would say the first professional appointment that Greenpeace made. Most people who worked at Greenpeace Australia that time were activists and so they came from an activist point of view. They didn't really have professional lawyers, professional communicators, business people and so on in there at that time. So I was probably the first professional appointment. And so I started working at Greenpeace Australia as their media relations and kind of communications advisor, I would say. So we had a lot of fun then. It's kind of an organisation where you can really do anything and kind of create your own job if you like. And one of the things that we were doing at the time was running a campaign about global warming and also clean seas. And so Greenpeace does direct action campaigns and my job was to make sure that the media turned up to our direct action campaigns and that we got all of the TV and radio coverage that we could So I used to travel around with two mobile phones and in those days mobile phones were the size of house bricks and (laughs) as heavy as house bricks and they were actually like a plastic black block with a phone with a cord that was attached to the brick part. I I remember it well, Beth. (laughs) But but we felt so cool carrying them around though. (laughs) Indeed we did and... We did. We got, you know, lots on Current Affair and, you know, all of those kind of shows at the time. I remember Darren Hinch used to think we were marvellous and it was great for me. I did actually went to the UK for one particular campaign and I was running the media from the UK and had to do a doorstop interview outside the Australian Embassy in London and about this particular issue. And I was teased mercilessly by my colleagues when I got back because they said that I pronounced Australia Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sort of pick it up, well, you know, depending on where you are, you just pick up that accent. But I think it sounded very important. <laughs> yes, it was very important. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you said that you're working at Greenpeace and it would have been a fantastic environment because everyone would have been so passionate. And if this was, you know, a cause it was very close to your heart as well. You, you would have really probably been swept along with, you know, all of that passion and enthusiasm and, you know, the meaning and value that people were providing. Because, you know, I'm a career coach and one of my clients was making a career transition into the not-profit sector and she joined Greenpeace. And, you know, what was really interesting was that she said one of the first interview questions she was asked was, tell me, how do you feel working with a group of people who are regularly arrested. (laughs) She said that that was quite an unusual one. But then, of course, if you've got the campaigners and the activists and they're doing something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, things like that would happen. So, Beth, for you, so working for Greenpeace, that would have been just great exposure for you as well. It was tremendous. And it was the time when Greenpeace membership was just growing, you know, astronomically, and we were very popular. So I was a very popular character at the local barbecues and with friends and so on. And then I do recall that journalists started to question Greenpeace's fundraising activities. And for the first time, we started to some negative press and my job was to manage the press so the heat was on me intensely and I got taught some valuable lessons then about managing the media you know when it doesn't go your way and how we can manage some crisis communication and all of that kind of thing so it was a really good learning how people responded to me at barbecues 
changed. Um, <laughs> and so I learned that, that, you know, how maybe you just shift from being the person in the sun to not so much, you know, perhaps a little bit in the shadows. But, you know, it did teach me as well a really important thing, and that is that when you've got a problem in an organisation, the first people you need to talk to are the people within the organisation. Mm. So, and this was something very new to Greenpeace. You know, they were running around talking to the media and everything else. And, you know, I was able to say, hey, hang on, stop. We've got all of these campaigners working for us, you know, both on the streets and in the organisation, within the organisation and our membership and so on. And so these are the people that we've got to hold dear and our priority needs to go to them. And that was a good lesson because then when I went on to do other things in my career, I, you know, always remembered that one. Mm. Oh, it must have been just an amazing time in your career as well. A really good grounding, you know, for your uh, communications and marketing background. And so from Greenpeace, how did you progress into the government and then the private sector? Well, it's quite a funny story, Jane. I was um, quit Greenpeace after my first child and pretty quickly had my second child. And I think she was, oh, she wasn't even three months old. And somebody who I knew through a Greenpeace contact rang me and said, would you work on the political campaign for the Lord Mayor of Sydney? He's got a challenging campaign coming up and we think that you'd be good for it. Mm. And I said, well, I've just had a baby. I think it would be a bit tricky. And also, you know, I lacked confidence about that. I thought, oh, I can't do that. That sounds too big. Anyway, my mother called me and she said, oh, that campaign, it's going to be so important that, you know, that the Lord Mayor wins, not the other candidate. And I told her about that I'd been offered the job. And she said, well, you have to do it. Mm. You have to do it. (laughs) And so I always think that I took that job for mum. From her political point of view, it was very important that the Lord Mayor won the election. So off I went. Husband, you know, had baby and combination with that and childcare. And I went off to run this political campaign, which is more intense even than working at Greenpeace. And wow, I mean, that was a real learning curve for me. I was managing the media and communications of that and the messaging and some of the fundraising activities and so on. And you certainly learn a lot in that environment because there's not much money to play with. There's not very many resources and you've really got to get a lot of things done in a short amount of time. Anyway, he was successful. The Lord Mayor was successful. And so then I was installed as press secretary for the Lord Mayor of Sydney. And then I moved across after about 18 months as press secretary into a new role in the Sydney City Council called Executive Director of Major Events. And my job was to prepare the city organisation for the 2000 Olympic Games and also run the New Year's Eve fireworks show. And so I did that until I think 2001 was my last one. What an exciting journey that would have been from having a tiny little bit of self-limiting belief, really it's too big for me, through taking it on. Thank goodness for your mother, you know, wonderful woman mm. to push you forward. And you were so successful with that. That That is really such an interesting path. So this led us to around about 2001 and then? And then I had my third child and... You know, I was a bit, oh, I'm not sure what to do now. And somebody contacted me from the Australian Olympic Committee and said, we've got this executive director of New South Wales role coming up. Would you apply for it? 
And so I did. And so I was running the New South Wales office of the Australian Olympic Committee. And that was really, I guess, again, it was a communications role. It was a fundraising role. It was my job was to make sure that the people of New South Wales remained excited and supporting of the Olympic Games and the different sports within that. And that was a really nice job because it's still, you know, I was still involved with the Olympic movement. I didn't go to any more Olympic Games. So I went to Atlanta and then involved in Sydney. So I didn't go to Athens. Mm. I think I was back looking after the children and minding the office at that time. (laughs) (laughs) And that job was, I think it was three days a week, which really suited me well. And from there, Michael Knight, who was the Minister for the Olympic Games, he asked me if I would come and work with him at an ASX-listed company that he was the new chairman of. And it's just a little PR and communications role, Beth. You'll really enjoy it. You can stick with your part-time. It's in the city. The office is beautiful. You'll love it. And, you know, we'll increase your salary and all of the benefits are going to be great, you know, come won't you come over? And so I said, so I agreed to do that, but it didn't actually turn out that way. And so then what happened? (laughs) Tell us more. I'm just hanging on. This is such an interesting story. (laughs) Well, you know, I hadn't worked with a listed company. So, you know, that was all new to me. And I thought, oh, I can't do this. But anyway, once again, a good friend said, of course you can. Off you go. You know, Michael Knight wouldn't pick you out if he didn't have confidence in you. Mm. So do it. Anyway, I think it was in the second day of of my job, the board sacked the CEO And then shortly after that, the executive chairman was asked to leave. The share price was tanking with these, well, actually going up and down and then finally, you know, kind of hit rock bottom. And the particular product was controversial, Mm. let me say that. And so we were having a lot of challenges in the press and, I guess the share price kind of stayed low. So it was, oh, it was the most challenging job. And what didn't end up being three days a week at all, we had many lawsuits running and so we were spending long nights with lawyers and all of that kind of thing. It was a very, very tough time until eventually the shareholders sacked the board and at the AGM, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so there was only me and one other person who was left in the management of the company and it stayed like that for about four days, which was very strange until the shareholders had appointed kind of a, a chairman, if you like, an interval kind of chairman. And I was told that even though my job was, I think I was called manager of marketing and communications, that I wasn't to do any marketing or any communications. Oh. <laughs> So I remember this period of time of about four weeks where I had to go to work and do nothing and it was so challenging and in the end we were able to part company on agreeable terms. But it certainly got me to thinking, oh, gee, you know, I feel quite destroyed by that whole period. I think I need to take a little break and kind of work out what I want to do. So I went and parked myself in a friend's PR agency. And I said to her, I'm really interested in what's happening with all this digital stuff. You know, can I do some experiments on some of your clients? And she said, oh, sure, take all these ones that I don't want and do whatever you like. (laughs) We won't charge them very much. And so we did that. I started running experiments using, it was when Twitter just started and we were looking at blogs and YouTube and seeing if we could get better results 
doing digital marketing and digital communications for PR clients than if we were doing traditional. And for some clients we did, and so you got a good picture of which clients it worked better for. Some of them, you know, it really was a path to quicker and better success, you know, because at the time people were still learning that if somebody like a journalist wants to know about you, they're going to Google you, right? Now we take that for granted. But at that time, that was a new concept. And so to have a really good profile in search and lots of stuff in your blogs and information on YouTube and so on was a really new idea. And so that's what we did with the clients. And we got such good results. And I thought, oh, this is marvelous. I'm I'm going to write a training program about this. Mm. And so I did. I wrote a training program and I went off and did my master's degree in digital communications and culture and I've been working for myself ever since then. You know what? You personify that. Se- you know when people say when life gives you lemons, go and make lemonade? So this foray into more of the private sector and organisational change is rife. It just happens and there are all these things that happen outside of your control as well. And you would have experienced, you know, like positive corporate culture and then negative corporate culture and then decided, okay, this is it, time to move on. And then setting up something new from that, it was a really good learning experience, wasn't it? It was. And I was lucky that I'd been invited prior to that to periodically do guest lecturing for various universities and private colleges and so on. And so I was able to leverage some of those contacts as well and say, well, while I'm working out what I'm doing, I'll do some lecturing, but it's not going to be guest. I'm going to be paid for it. So I said, you know, I'm available to do some lectures. And then pretty quickly I was given, you know, whole subjects. So I developed the curriculum for the digital marketing curriculum and the online PR curriculum for a private college. And then I was asked to do a lot more of that work. So I worked at lots of different universities and private colleges, either as a sessional lecturer or a curriculum developer. And when I left the listed company, mm. it was really good to have a couple of little things like that to fall back on. So my friend who has her own business where I could just go to the office and have a bit of a think and an experiment and also these contacts that I had through doing guest lectures. Mm. You definitely demonstrate self-reliance and an awful lot of resilience as well. So, you know, it's just amazing how interestingly your career path has taken all these twists and turns and upward movement and sideways movements. And then you founded Digital Marketing Club. So now tell us about this SME marketing strategy development and coaching business. Yeah, so I do run workshops. I do a lot of speaking and I've started to do some more one-on-one coaching with businesses and also just launched a coaching program for groups, if you like, who want to learn more about, I guess, how to not just position themselves online. I'm much more about, you know, attracting leads and converting leads. And so I've done quite a lot of consulting and also, I guess, you know, they kind of do it for you. So we've still got a few clients who we do all of their lead generation and websites and all that kind of stuff and the strategy. But really, I wanted to get the message to more businesses. And so Digital Marketing Club was set up to do that. So I put a lot of free resources up there. And if I'm running a workshop, I invite those people first. I'll do some special things for them, like, you know, a Facebook advertising workshop, for instance, which lots of people want to know about how to do that at the moment or email marketing or those kind of things. So Digital Marketing Club is for, you know, all SMEs. 
who want to learn more and take the opportunity for some coaching and some workshops as well as free templates and so on that's there. Mm. So you actually guide small businesses really from A to Z when it comes to their digital marketing strategy. Do you help to create that strategy with them? Yes, I've been doing this for a long time now, Jane, so I get to the pointy end first, which is what are we doing here? You know, isn't it all about leads and conversions? So what do we need to do to get what I call marketing qualified leads? So that's what your marketing does. And then you've got sales typically that's going to convert those. And so mostly the sales process is not necessarily something that marketing has control over. So what we do have control over is generating leads. And so we need to know, what we're putting in at the process at the start and how much money and what we're getting out of that and see if we can lift the percentage on those numbers. And then obviously we then look at conversions, like how many people end up in a sale. And if we're losing too many from marketing to the sale, then there's something wrong with the sales process. And so we can break it down and see percentages of that. And then, you know, obviously if you're not getting enough leads, you've got to fix your marketing. If you're not getting enough sales and you're getting enough leads, then you've got to fix your sales process. So we can do things like that and then set up the landing pages and the various attraction strategies to generate more leads and also focus on, you know, getting more business from the database that you have. So it's not just all about attracting new business, new leads. It's about kind of working and nurturing the relationships that you already have because they're ultimately easier to convert. You know, so many people who are running their own businesses are like solopreneurs and they end up doing everything themselves and they think, okay, I'll save some money this way. Do you think that's a false economy? I do. I really do. And I work with and I know and I speak to lots of people like that. You know, I think just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should because your job is to be working on perhaps other aspects of your business and often in your business. So most people who are solos are working in and on their business. And so, you know, their accountant does supports them with the numbers. They're close to their numbers too. And it needs to be like that with your marketing, that you're in partnership with a marketing advisor, coach, mentor, or someone who's doing it for you. But it's a partnership. So you're sharing the responsibility with them of executing the strategy but it's the maybe it's the consultant's job or the agency's job to actually implement it. I'll give you an example of what I mean. I, there's there's one client who I worked with, and I was actually doing a favour for her. She's somebody who I know quite well, and I thought that she was getting ripped off by her marketing agency. And so I said, yes, I'll take you on as a client. I'll run some experiments. I want to talk about you as a case study, and I won't charge you very much. Does that sound okay? And she says, that sounds fabulous, so let's do that. And so we worked together for a couple of years, but the problem was that she was always going to be a poor client because she couldn't give the time over to be a marketing partner. And this is so important with small businesses that they need to work closely with their their marketing person to get the results. And by that, I mean talking about what's coming up and what's working for you and what you're doing. So stories from the coalface are really important anybody who's going to try and communicate that message for you, being aware of the kind of language and so on that your target market uses and passing on those insights to the marketing person who you're working with, coming up with a couple of ideas a month for a blog post or an interview or a story or something like that, having a chat regularly about 
some lead generation activities that you might like to do together that are going to be realistic and work well. So it's really, that's what I mean by being a partnership. So people who are too busy in their business to be that marketing partner are what we call, you know, I don't like to say bad clients, but they're never going to get the results that others are going to get who approach it as a partnership. And so I talk about quite a lot of this, you know, I do a lot of speaking from the stage and I do talk about what makes a good client, how you can be a good client. And the thing to remember is that it's a partnership. Mm. I mean, I think all of that advice is so valuable as well, because so many people sort of abdicate responsibility if they think, okay, now I've got a social media marketing person, off you go and do it. But delegating is very different from abdicating, isn't it? So you're absolutely right having to be in a partnership and having your feedback because you know your customer better than anybody else because you're working with them all the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I'll just say one point on that. You know, with I hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, I've got this person to my social media." You know, it's not going that well. And you think there's probably a good reason why, and you need to look in the mirror about why that's not going so well. (laughs) Like, you know, they say. I don't know anything about this, but they said that they've got it all under control. It's like they can't do anything for you if you don't put into, you know, what they need to be doing. So, you know, part of what I teach, what Digital Marketing Club does is say to business owners, you need to establish just a foundation of understanding because then you can work with somebody well. You can brief them. You can lead them. If you've got zero understanding, it's harder to do that. So, you know, that's you can tell, by the way, I'm talking, I'm quite passionate about it. Oh, definitely. That's definitely coming through. And I'm sure that's why you wrote your book, Drive More Business. And it's interesting because it says it's a five-step guide to digital marketing for auto dealers. So is this your area of specialization, Beth? Yes. So that came about because I was running a lot of workshops for car dealerships. And they're great businesses that are often... Uh, you know, people don't think quite as positively as they could about them. And part of it is how they represent themselves online, you know. And one of the things that I was saying to them is what your business is online today is what your business is. So even though you've got foot traffic and you've got these beautiful showrooms and everything – there's a real small percentage of people that actually do that. There's a much greater percentage of people who visit you online. So it's something like 98% of everybody who wants to buy a car visits online first. So I was running the workshops with them and they were, you know, it was clearly a sector that needed some help. And so I decided to write the book for them and I've launched a coaching program for them just this week. Oh, congratulations. How good is that? Oh, I hope it goes really well. Now, Beth, I could speak to you all day, but I can't, unfortunately, because I know that you're a busy lady too. But I'd like you to leave us with your top three tips for success for those considering going into entrepreneurship as you have. Because obviously, you've been successful, you really enjoy it, you love what you do. So what's the magic ingredient? Well, you know what? I think you can drive yourself crazy. So the first thing is don't drive yourself crazy, right? Really decide what it is that you want to do and then be realistic about the amount of hours you can put because, you know, you just see entrepreneurs who are causing damage to their marriage relationships or their partner relationships and so on because they're so absorbed in work. So 
keep realistic about the time that you're going to put in. The other thing, which I think is a saying that you know too, Jane, is prolific over perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So if you fuss around with your stuff too much, you never get it out there in the market. And, you know, you are your worst critic. The things that you would, you know, perhaps identify as negative things, somebody else may not even notice. So that's my things. Be realistic about the time. Don't ruin your relationships because of it. And then second thing is get in and be prolific. Don't be perfect because, you know, you're always going to be your harshest critic. And, you know, listen to your audience. Go out and ask people what they want and they'll tell you. <laughs> Interestingly enough, go first to your target market. What is it that how can I help you? These are the skills that I've got and you'll get great feedback. Mm. Valuable advice, Beth. And if someone wanted to work with you, where would they find you? Yes, they'd find me, well, on LinkedIn, I'm Beth Powell One, and my website is bethpowell.com.au. So www.bethpowell.com.au. Okay, and I'll have all of these links on my show notes on janejacksoncoach.com. And if you want to follow Beth, she's Bethy P, that's B-E-T-H-I-E-P for Powell on Twitter. So you can follow her active Twitter feed as well. And of course, I'll have all of the links on my show notes on my website. And so thank you so much for your time today, Beth. It's been a really interesting journey from nursing to journalism to the not-for-profit sector, working with Greenpeace and you know, then the Lord Mayor of Sydney. It's You've had a phenomenal journey. It's been absolutely amazing. I'm exhausted now. Exhausted. <laughs> but thank you so much. I'd love to have you come back on the show. And maybe what we do next time is to focus purely on drive more business as well. Because since you're launching that online program, it would be good to hear how that's going. Yes, I'd love that, Jane. It'd be great. Yeah, I'd love that. Lovely. And thank you so much. And we will talk to you again soon. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. There are over 180,000 book titles to choose, so give it a go and get your free audiobook today from audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. You've been listening to Jane Jackson Careers. Sign up to receive regular career advice at janejacksoncoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Your Career Podcast, I invite you to check out my career success program at thecareersacademy.online. The Career Success Program is the original program that uniquely provides 24-7 on-demand career support and fortnightly live career coaching sessions to keep you on track to reach your career goals. It is the essential resource for anyone who wants to manage their career effectively, make a career change and land the job they'll love. 
Whether you're in exploration mode or seeking a new career direction and need help to make it a reality, the Career Success Program is for you. Not only do you get access to my step-by-step roadmap to navigate your career crossroads, my extensive training library and exclusive members-only discounts and tools, you'll also become part of my supportive community of professionals who will help you with feedback, encouragement and advice. All this and more makes the Career Success Program the number one place to be for anyone looking to start, manage and grow their career. Check it out and join me at thecareersacademy.online.